Hi guys. Oh, this is weird. We're like right across from each other. <laughs> Maybe you should sit next to me. Yeah. And it's fine. <laughs> we just have to look at each other. Hi. All right. This is Pop Culture Vultures. It's a podcast where we talk about pop culture. We mm. mangle a new <laughs> topic every single week, tear apart its flesh, oh, God. discuss it in depth. Yeah. That's what we do. Because we're the we pop do. culture vultures. We, we rip it to shreds. Rip it to shreds. So yes. All right. Who's Let's begin. Oh, okay. This week is the Be authors. authors. We love uh, books. Yeah. We do. We do. <laughs> That's one of our interests. <laughs> we like books. We do. I. You especially love beat. I the do. The beat era. Yeah, I was really into it. And I and I know about it a little bit, but I was never like super duper into it. So I'm excited for this episode because I think it's going to inspire me to read more of those famous yeah. beat works. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about beat, but people might not know what that is. I can Let's give my discuss. definition and then you have some history on it. I've we got some wanna, background. I just want to start that way and then we can each yeah. just, yeah, that sounds just do good. that. All right. Beat generation. So the beat movement was like an American social and literary movement in the 1950s, um, centered around places, cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, basically explored express their alienation from conventional or square society by adopting styles of dress manners and hip vocabulary is what this specific article referenced mm. from Britannica. Um, yeah, that's kind of ma the main thing. I mean, the people in the beat generation were a lot of like authors, artists, um, pretty much people of that sense that were just kind of like off kilter. Mm -hmm. They kind of wanted to be separate from society and kind of rebel against it, I guess, in their own ways through like a lot of it was like drugs, music, sex, their own personal like art forms and such. Yes. Yeah. For sure. That's kind of the, the general that's definition. General I feel like that thing. works pretty well. Yeah, that's good. Um, some more information that I've found. According to the Poetry Foundation, <laughs> the name beat evokes weariness. The beat under a piece of music and Ooh. beautific spirituality. I watched a video to kind of help me with this. It's from Biographics. It's a video on Jack Kerouac and he described it as a beat lifestyle meant both being beat down and poor but also beatific in Catholic sense to find God through suffering. Yes, because it's kind of spiritual. It's yeah, it is spiritual, spiritual and I feel like that connects a little bit with each person we're talking about too. Definitely. Right. Yeah, so basically to give a little historical context, the beat movement emerged in the like 40s and 50s after the World War II, after World War II and during the Cold War. So this kind of created this era of disillusionment after those, you know, atrocities, after all the atrocities, atrocities? during that time. So many. It's also a time period that's like, and there was a lot of like cultural and political repression in the US, but there was like this facade of like false perfection on the surface, like everything was good, everything was seemingly thriving. But underneath, obviously, we know there was tons of like horrible injustices and problems. There always are. There always are. But they really covered it up back in those days. And the True. beat authors People were like, you know what? trusted the government. Then. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> but not the beats. They were like, they this won't. shit's fucked up. This shit's <laughs> fucked up, and we need to write about it. They also <laughs> this just shit's fucked up. <laughs> we need to write about it. We gotta write about this right now. Um, so they also explored, you know, just like counterculture things, very counterculture, mm -hmm. like jazz, uh, jazz, drugs, drugs, hallucinogenic sex. drugs, sexual freedom, Eastern religion. <laughs> The True. natural world, like, you know, metaphysical poets, like, all mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. fun, uh, you fun know, stuff. counterculture stuff. Very much a precursor to, like, the 60s and 70s hippie mm -hmm, movement. Mm -hmm. uh, you could definitely see the inspiration brewing there. So there's a little bit of background for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And now we're going to peg it Now we're going to get in we're there. Gonna, what did you say? Mang mangle We're going to mangle the carcass. <laughs> Ew. What's the word? We're I'll vultures. think about it for next week. Okay, You're yeah. really good at coming up with them. Thanks. I'm not as good. Hey, don't I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Okay, who wants don't to go first? Down. Should I go first? I think you should go first. Yeah, go ahead. <gasps> Guys, okay. My beat author for this week is 
none other than Jack Kerouac, our mm. man. You say Kerouac or Kerouac? I say Kerouac. You say Kerouac? Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm I... known to pronounce things wrong. But this is like your idol. No. I just speak weird. No, no, no. Kerouac? I'm going to say Kerouac. I think it might be Kerouac. It's probably Kerouac, but Kerouac sounds better to me. It flows. It, whatever. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first and foremost, a little bit of background information. Jack Kerouac was born March 12, 1922, a Pisces, mm. in Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, yeah, he was raised pretty, pretty poor. They were like immigrants, um, like French Canadians, his parents were. Mm. And they kind of lived in like a small town, Lowell, Massachusetts, a really small town, um, very religious, Catholic upbringing, but yeah, very impoverished. Um, yeah, so basically he grew up just kind of standard, I guess, like I said, lower class. He had two siblings, um, and they're both older, and in 1926, his older brother Gerard died of rheumatic fever, and he was mm-hmm. nine when Jack Kerouac was four. So that was kind of a big impact on him. Um, he wrote the book Visions of Gerard in 1963 about that. So it's kind of like a repeating theme. It's like Jack Kerouac's basically entire life is in his novels. And it's like a oh. whole series, pretty much. You can read them in order of his life, pretty much, and like read them. So that that is called the Duluo. I don't know how to pronounce it. Duluo's legend. That's like the character name that he gives himself in all of his books. Um, is Jack Dulawos instead of Kerouac. So like he's not really covering oh. it up very well that it's like literally about him and his life. But no, I like that's that. like his pseudonym, but he I mean everyone kinda knows that it's like from him. It's that like autobiographical. Like, yeah, it's not like yeah. write what you know and he like took that very seriously. He was like, I'll fucking write what I know. Or write my whole life story. Write my whole fucking life. <laughs> yeah, so he grew up poor, that tragedy struck like really young in his life, and that's kind of a theme throughout his life. He, after his brother died, his dad kind of went into really bad drinking, gambling, like was just pretty much an alcoholic and didn't really add much to the family after that point, like working and stuff. He like worked at, I think at his own like printing factory or like something like that and basically just like it kind of dropped off from there. So his mom was like taking care of um, him and his sister pretty much on her own, which is, like, sad. Shucks. His mom was, like, really depressed, but they were very close, like, him and his mom. Apparently. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah, which we'll see later on. So, yeah, in his younger years, there's lots of books that he wrote about his younger years. Um, Dr. Sex, Maggie Cassidy, my favorite Jack Kerouac book. Mm. <gasps> so good. Young Love. Is that what it's that. about, his, like, experiences with Young Love? Yeah, Maggie Cassidy was about his, like, high school sweetheart girlfriend. Oh, shucks. So in high school, he was this all-American boy. He played football. His, like, passions were, like, reading and sports. What a guy. Sick balance. Yeah, sick balance. He was really smart, did a lot of reading, very quiet, played football. Yeah. As you do. As you do. As an all-American boy. As an all-American boy. Yeah. So going into college then, he got a scholarship to Columbia for football. Mm. Um, He was, like, in a fraternity. He wrote for the college paper. He was doing the most, honestly. Wow. Um, But... He had an injury. Some he broke his leg playing football. Apparently, God damn. Well, it Which was I like know. the twenties. What's the what's the story here? The fuck? <laughs> like broke his whole ass leg. Like what did he do? I mean, football do be dangerous, and I'm sure they probably had like whack ass helmets back then or something. Did they even wear helmets in football back then, or were they like made out of leather? No padding. Come on, guys. Come on. Helmet safety 50. has really improved in the last <laughs> half That's century. That's our next episode. <laughs> helmet safety. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, he drops out of Columbia um, to live with his girlfriend, wife number one, Eddie Ooh. Parker. Number one, <gasps> meaning red flag, he's had three wives. Mm. Anyways, not to go into his romantic life, not a judge. So whatever. Joins mm. the Navy in 1943, so just like a couple of years after he drops out. And he wrote his first novel about the experience called The Sea is My Brother. Which... Ugh was a fucking horrible book and he hated it and everyone else hated it. Oh wow, have you yeah. read it? No. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't even think it was in print until like after he died. It is a really stupid title to the be honest. The Sea is My Brother. The Sea is My Brother. We would come up with something like that. The Sea is My Brother. Like he really couldn't have thought of a better way to say that. I don't know. Like I don't even know what it was about. The Sea and the Brothers. The Sea is My Brother. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. So he's just kind of floating around. I feel like he's still living like near Columbia, um, he's living with his girlfriend and they know a lot of people like at Columbia. Um, that's where he meets Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs. And they're just, you know, they're buds and they're hanging out and they're doing drugs and stuff. 
And then in 1944, Jack Kerouac was arrested for being a material witness in the murder of David Kammerer, mm. um, which later inspired the novel And the Hippos Boiled in Their Tanks from 1945, which he wrote with Burroughs about it and also was in like, he also like used it as inspiration in other books. But this shit is crazy. Should yes. I go more in depth about Should I? Should I go more in depth about I this? think you ought to. It's so interesting. This I think is what, it's like, really got interesting. Me into like all the beat stuff because this is like the start of it all. Of like yeah, I think you should. I think it's relevant. Oh and God. you know what? Uh, if you guys have seen the movie Kill Your Darling, oh my God, it's honestly not that good. But yeah, it also inspired that. Like so, the hippos boiled in their tanks inspired that movie, mm -hmm. but that like greatly exaggerated. Yeah, Kill Your Darlings is definitely not uh, historically accurate. No. I would say it was. It was kind of bad, but <laughs> it it's an interesting bad. story. So yeah, the story is so good. Well, I was like looking up the real story as we were like watching. It. I was like, I need to know. I was very into it. Yeah. Um. So how do you say it? Lu Lucian Carr? Yeah, I think it's Luci Lucian. Lucian. I just think of Lucius from Harry Potter. Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> I think it's Lucian. Yeah. Lucian, Lucian sounds stupid. <laughs> so that sounds like Lucian. Lucian. <laughs> hey Lucian. Hey, you got some Lucian? Bring me the Lucian, Lucian. <laughs> No, okay, Lucian. Yeah, Lucian Carr. Um, so he was like friends of Allen Ginsberg um, and Kerouac during the time that they were in Colombia. He didn't go to Colombia, right? He didn't go there, but he was like hanging out there. So he I met them know. during that time, I think. But I don't, or maybe he, no, he did go there. I think he went he there. Went he was there. part of their little gang. Yeah, and they, he grew up with, okay, I'm actually going to read a quote. So this is a Medium article from a lady named Jennifer Berube. Oh my god, I'm so bad at names. Anyways, <laughs> so to preface this, Lucien Carr had a, I don't know what to call him, like a, he was his teacher, but he followed him to Columbia mm -hmm. because they had some type of, I guess, romantic connection that was never affirmed. But it seemed affirmed. like, yeah, we don't know. So it's his name was David Kammerer, and this quote says, David Kammerer was a teacher in St. Louis and met Lucien Carr when leading a youth group Carr belonged to as a young boy. He immediately became infatuated with the boy and followed him across the country as Carr moved from city to city. So when Which he went is to Columbia, concerning. I mean, the age difference was like what, like fifteen plus years, something like that. And what you met was a like child in summer camp, and yeah, you were like, and "I'm gonna follow so him around I'm the reading, country." Yeah, right. What the? That's really creepy. So I'm reading in the hippos boil in their tanks right now. Oh, and it talks about how Cameron like met Carr's like mother and like his parents and like kind of took on a role, almost like a nanny, almost like oh, like kind of was there as like his like. No, this is some Lolita type shit. Because both his parents were like fucked up, like cheating on each oh, other, not no. in the picture. So he kind of stepped in as like, I guess, a parental role, but it was like. Grooming. Yeah, it was basically grooming yeah. him. So, I mean, nothing is really confirmed about this. I mean, it was a case from the 50s, so not a lot can be like. They were like, ah, oh, and they're just friends. Yeah, and it's so you don't really get a lot. And what comes next kind of also, like, I guess, muddles what the real situation was. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, so whether or not they had a sexual relationship was unknown, but Cameron was obviously, like, following him around, whatever. Um, Carr was at a bar one night, that night in 1944, and Cameron, like, found him. They were drinking together. Apparently he professed his, like, love to Carr while they were, like, in there, and Carr was, like, with his girlfriend. It was basically being, like, very pushy towards him and, like, mm. you know, kind of insinuating certain things that Carr did not want. So basically, sexually harassing him is yeah. what Carr later states in court. So they're like walking back, he's still like being very pushy, all this stuff, um, and then Carr pulls out a knife and stabs him. Yeah. And he kills him. And right then there is him in a river, right? Well, so then he's like, fuck. What I just do? So he's like, call my buddies, well, I mean, bro. That, that's the thing. Is like, it's all like hearsay. You don't. I don't yeah. know what really happened. I, I do assume that Cameron was a fucking weirdo, mm -hmm. and like, rightfully, I mean, stab him, I guess. But it was also like later on in the case when they were trying to determine, mm -hmm. you know, what the verdict was. There was a lot of like homophobic right. nature to that, and so that could also be a part in like how it was prosecuted. Right. So Because they would naturally like demonize him. Yeah, because oh, he's a gay man. Like, yeah. if he's like, because think about it, if it was a, a woman and a man, it would be a very different situation in 1950. Very true. 
So true. Let's just put it that way. But um, so Carr calls up Burroughs and he's like, dude, help me, man. I got I to gotta get out of this shit. And he gives him <laughs> some money and he's like, you need to turn yourself in. And he's like, well, that's not, I'll take your money, but that's not an option. So, <laughs> Did he actually take the money? Yeah, he took the money. He was like, all right, well. <laughs> he's like, well, buddy, I'm not your idea. Gonna, but... Fuck you. I guess it was like to get him to like, I don't know, bribe him, but whatever. Hmm. So he calls Kirouac up and Kirouac's like, fuck, okay. So he takes Cameron's glasses and the knife and he hides those, and Carr, like, throws, like, hides his body. I actually don't know where he put the body in a river or I think shit. it was in a river, was it not? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Puts it somewhere. Mm. But basically, all three of them get arrested. Burroughs is bailed out by his family. He wasn't, he was just, like, a witness. He was, like, an accomplice, I guess, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirak, I guess, was an accomplice as well. But his girlfriend's family uses their inheritance money to bail Kerouac out as long as he promises to marry her. So they get Ooh. married while he is literally in jail. They get married and then bail him out. That's a weird so condition. So he's like, okay, yeah. And in the book, too, it's funny, like, because it's all from Kerouac's, like, actual perspective. And he's talking about, like, his girlfriend, like, keeps being like, you, you like, keep saying you're going to marry me, but, like, you're not. And he's like, no, I, I want to marry you. He's like, uh, he's like a college dude. It's like, really weird to me that, like, the girlfriend and her family would be like, Oh, he's in prison for being an accomplice for a murder? Let's fucking marry him. I know. Let's spend the money to get him out so you can marry him. Yeah. Like, that'd be good. Weird. Are people really desperate to get married back then? I guess they're like, we just, you need to marry this, like, football. He was hot. loving guy. They're like, yeah, this is the hottest All guy <laughs> we're going to find. So you got to marry him. I don't care if he's been in prison. Yeah. Like, what? So I don't know why. I just feel like that's so crazy. So, yeah, basically, Carr, like, I mean, he pleads self-defense and, like, especially played up the, like, homo- like that camera was, like, homosexual man, even though, like, Carr also had, like, mm-hmm. um, I guess, by tendencies and stuff. Like, I mean, everyone in the Beat Generation did, like, they were all just kind of experimenting. But he definitely played that up, and I think that, like, helped him to where golf on all charges, pretty much. Right, because didn't he, like, did he go to prison at all? Um, he went for, I think, like, a couple months. Damn. His, his sentencing was, like, two years or something, and he got off like, early wow. for, like, good behavior or something. Hmm. Which, like, I guess, because he wasn't, like, it wasn't really malicious intent, I don't think. It could have been self-defense. Who knows? I think it really was self-defense. Like, honestly, I do. Yeah. But he probably had, like, he's probably just, like, angry, too. Like, this guy keeps, keeps bugging me. I need to get him out of my Right, life. I mean, yeah. But, like, how can you blame him? This dude's following you around for exactly. your, life, your whole life. Yeah. Following you to college. That is pretty fucked no. up and crazy. Yeah. Uh, and Carl was, like, with his girlfriend. No, okay. That's mm-hmm. fucked. So that's the end of that story, but I just find that really interesting. That is riveting. And it really kicks off this, like, whole idea of, like, I guess, like, a a view of the beats that, like, people got. That, like, oh, they're trouble and they're rebellious. Yeah. And just, like, really put a bad image to them. Because it was, like, right at the start. This was, like, still the 40s. Right. So. Yeah. Because Carr was one of them. Like, they all had that. Did you, like, read about, like, the vision? Like, a new vision that they all had? No. It was... Mainly Allen Ginsberg, but I think they also, like, all shared that idea. I'll talk about that in mine. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Lucien Carr was part of that, so he was definitely, like, beat vibes. But he was just never as successful as the other ones. Yeah. So. He was he didn't really write anything. I don't think he wrote anything, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Moving on. So, Kirak publishes The Town and the City in 1940, and then in 1951, he goes on the road. So, yeah. he basically... I mean, he's still living with his now wife at this time. Mm. Um, and during that time, he meets Neil Cassidy, um, mm. a close friend. So a little bit about him. He was a car theft in Denver for a while. Was doing oh, that. yeah. And that's kind of like where, because on the road, they go through most like the West Coast. They like pass through Denver and all that stuff. So it's mm. kind of like a point in the book as well. Um Cassidy basically inspired on the road. Kerouac left his wife to go to Denver because of him. He, like, met him and kind of became his muse and oh. was, like, an inspiration to him. They say, like, brother. It's, it's kind of weird because it's, like, kind of brotherly, but it's also kind of fruity. Kind of fruity. Yeah, yeah. like, it was, he was his muse. I think he was, like, in love with him. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, the fact that he, like, left his wife and, like, went to yeah. Denver for him. Yeah. Interesting. But he was also just, like, an interesting person. And Kirak yeah. is the type that was like, right. oh, these interesting people here, I'll follow them. You know what I mean? That was kind of the yeah. big thing to do. But he did, when he first met him, Kirak went to his house and Cassie opened the door butt-ass naked. So. Oh, wow. Why? You wouldn't even stop to. I think that's why he's like, I like towel. this guy. <laughs> Put on a towel or something. Yeah, Kirak had his 
by awakening. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I speculate. I have speculations, <laughs> though. I have a feeling. So, during this time, Cassidy writes these letters and basically compiles them. They're called the Joan, the Joan Anderson letter. It's basically this entire collection of about, like, all of his romantic relationships. It's, like, very explicit. It actually wasn't published until last... No, 2022. Oh, wow. Was when it was published. And there's, I, like... I won't go into that because I feel like it's not very relevant. But it's a really cool story if you want to look it up. Um, basically, they, like, didn't... His family, like, had these... Had the papers, had the letters, and just didn't release them really to the public or print them until... Does it talk about, like, him being with not just women but, like, men, too? This one, I think, is just women, but it's very X-rated shit. Oh, And what's weird is, like, his daughters are the ones that get it released to the public. I'm like, that? She sat down and read that shit? I've read parts of it. Ugh. It's very... Not about your dad. I guess yeah. they were like, what? We have to do it for Jack Kerouac. We have yeah. to preserve but the, but the siblings, like, it started this whole family feud. But there's, like, some really oh. good articles. Um, there's one in the San Francisco Chronicle that's really good that I read. Hmm. If you're interested in it, if you, get, if you get really deep in it like I do... I might do some supplemental go. reading after this. Dude, for real. But anyways, yeah. his style in the Joan Anderson letters was very, like rambly, kind of that, like, jazz-inspired mm. flow that Kirak always wanted to go for in his writing. I think that's why he, like, attached on to Cassidy so so much is because it was... What he was doing was what Kirak wanted to do. Okay. So that's why On the Road is written in that very, like, rambly, like, free prose style, which is what Kirak is known for, but he kind of ripped Cassidy off and took mm. his style. But he took it and ran with it. I mean, like, you can't like blame him for that. I think they were all inspired by that kind of yeah. rambly style. Yeah, though. so he kind of took it and ran with that. Um, but On the Road really wasn't accepted. I mean, it wasn't in a normal style, so publishers did not like it. They did not want to publish it. And it mm. wasn't published till 1957, and now it's his like, biggest work. Yeah, dude. So fuck all the publishers. That's always how it Beat goes. Beat style against the grain. Again, that's the freaking point. Yeah. So anyways, after that, he comes back from traveling around and shit, and I guess he's, he gets a job as, like, working on, like, a railroad. He's, like, a bricksman and, like, a fire lookout dude. He's, like, living with his sister and his mom for a while. He starts to get into, like, Buddhism. Buddhism. Pause. During that time, yeah, he started getting into Buddhism. Um, he was reading a lot about that, and that, like, comes into play later. Okay, so he comes back from basically being on the road and then working on the railroad for a while. Um, at this point, he's with his second wife, Joan Haverty. I don't know how the first wife ended. I'm guessing, I mean, they got married when he was in jail. They were young. And they were like 20. Yeah, I'm guessing it just didn't work out. So he like yeah. remarried a couple years later because he's fucking wild and crazy. Um, she is pregnant, actually, once he like goes back after all this. She's pregnant and... He, she has this kid, and he refuses, like, to acknowledge that it's his daughter until, like, nine years after. Oh. Because, I mean, I think probably, like, drug-induced, he's, like, bouncing around from being, like, traveling and, like, leaving his first wife and, like, all this stuff that he probably doesn't even, like, remember all that much as I'm guessing. He's like, that's not my kid. Oh, shit. Which, like, I'm not defending him. That's, like, fucked up. But, yeah. like, his only daughter, and he, like, didn't really have a relationship with her, which is, like... Mm, that's some John Lennon shit. I mean, yeah, and he also... I mean, he didn't really have a father figure, so that oh, that'll do it, it to you. That'll yeah. fuck you up. He was like, I don't need to be around. Yeah, I mean, he was all fucked up, honestly. Let's be honest. Let's but, be honest. But he was making, writing some good books. So, yeah. continuing on with that. Um, so he kind of goes into a hole after this. He, like, moves to Mexico for a while. Is like, heavily drinking. Mm, like his dad. Let's... Mm, a little bit of Freud would have something to say about this. Freud would have a bone to pick with him. <laughs> Freud would have a carcass to pack. <laughs> Ew. Some flesh to <laughs> mangle. To mangle and rip yeah. off. his jazz. Okay. So he... But during that, he also drafts, like, ten other <laughs> novels during that time. I don't know how... Wow. They, they showed that in, like, Kill Your Darlings, too. They're, like, on drugs, drinking, and they're, like, so productive, like, writing. I'm like... I think they're on crack cocaine, though. Yeah, that's what's so interesting to read. So four other books that were, like, later published, he writes during these years. And then in 1954, he kind of comes out of this, like, depressive drinking hole and discovers Buddhism a little bit more. Oh, uh, yes. Um, he reads um, Dwight Goodard's A Buddhist Bible. He reads some other stuff, um, Heinrich Zimmer's Myths and Symbols in Indian Art and Civilization, um, the biography of Siddhartha. 
and just a couple other Buddhist readings. Um, and then in 1957, you know, he's getting kind of old. It's kind of the end of his end of his career. Mm. And he moves to Florida. All right. I don't know. Orlando. I mean, I guess that's what you do when you're old. I guess. Right? I mean, he's not even that old. He's just like kind of at the end of his like writing career, mm. say. But I don't know why Florida. Florida. What's good there? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Actually, Florida is fun. Florida. It, like mean, the beach. The beach sure. is good. Yeah, the beach. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, too hot. I don't know anything about Florida, too, <laughs> except that there's crazy people My there. dad grew up in Florida, actually. He told me some crazy stories. Oh, my God. I mean, no wonder. They're always in the news. Florida man, Florida man, Florida man, Florida man, Florida man, <laughs> everywhere. Every day. Everywhere. So he moves to Florida um, and writes the Dharma Bums, which was inspired by all of this, like, Buddhist reading that he's doing. But hmm. there's a lot of criticism around it from, like, respected figures in Buddhism, um, including Ruth Fuller Sasaki and Alan Watts. So a lot of people are like kind of shitting on him that like it's not real Buddhism, which is what mm. kind of the Beats did a lot as they like took their own look. I mean, they did the same with like Catholicism. Like Kerouac grew up in like a Catholic household that like influenced his writing a lot. But yeah. obviously it's not like very specific to the religion. Like he's not strictly following it. But a lot of people, mm. since it wasn't like from his heritage and his culture, they kind of thought that that was like appropriating in some sense. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one downfall of him, I'd say. I'd get, I'll get into that a little bit now. Like... Did he appropriate when he was writing this book? Like, maybe. But like I said, like, his his form of Buddhism was looking at it from those Western ideas and from his yeah. own perspective. And so I think nowadays when we look at it, it's like, yeah, that was kind of appropriating. Like, he wasn't respecting the religion and, like, the... I mean, I don't know if he wasn't respecting, but he didn't, like, fully research it and wasn't yeah, like, that's part of that gonna culture. Ask. He like, like, was like, going with different Buddhist monks and, like, studying it. Like, he wasn't doing that. He was just doing it on his own. Okay. And then later in his career, he, like stated, like, yeah, I'm not really a Buddhist anymore. Like, that's not whatever, like, that was over. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was just something that inspired his writing, which I think is still interesting to read about, but yeah. a lot of people have issues with it. Mm-hmm. So that being said, now we're getting to the very end. That was his <gasps> last book that he wrote. Damn. And, I mean, through all of it, he was kind of scattered in his writing. You know, he's kind of all over the place. But in 1964... Um, his older sister dies of a heart attack, and in 1966, his mom is paralyzed from a stroke. Oh, no. So he moves in with his mom. Oh, and in 1978, Neil Cassidy also dies. Mm. So, like, all of these really important people in his life, he already had, like, death early on with, like, his brother, and then, like, later on, like, with his dad drinking and stuff. So he's just, like, going yeah. through it. At the end of his life, he goes through a lot of that. So Neil Cassidy dies in 68. Uh, Kirax living with his mom, just kind of supporting her. And then in 1969, at age 47, he dies. This part is really interesting. He dies from a loss of blood after, after having an esophageal hemorrhage, which I think they said was from, like, a bar fight he had. It was, like, a cut in his throat, and it's, like, I don't know. Oh, my God. I'm not a doctor, but I do know this. He was taken to surgery, um, and because of liver damage, none of his blood was clotting. <gasps> liver damage from a drinking. Oh, brother. Drinking, guys. He dies. Because his, like, his liver wow. just could not... Wow, at only 47. Yeah, 47. And it's kind of ironic that his dad his is an alcoholic. Dad. And that's how he dies in the end. These things passed down. And even more ironically, he was working on a novel about his father's print shop at the time of his death. Oh, no. I know, kind of sad. But, so he dies in Florida um, when he was living with his third wife. Um, and, of course, his mom. And he was quoted at the end of his life saying that the only woman that he truly loved was his mother. Oh. I said, sweet or Hitchcock-esque. <laughs> it's a little yeah, interesting. Like, but, I mean, mm. I think through his whole life he, like, struggled with his sexuality. Mm-hmm. He was back and forth. I mean, he had a kid that he didn't really acknowledge. Like, he was just kind of yeah. lost in the beat movement, man. So, lost but in he, the sauce. Um, gave pretty much most of his estate to his mom even though she was about to kick the bucket too. Damn. And that was it for his life. Well, kind, kind of a sad ending. I know, yeah. it was sad. It was sad. But a, a real roller coaster, I'll say. For sure. Yeah. Didn't know he died that young. Yeah, 47. Wow. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know back, I was going to say back then, but what the fuck do I know about back then? <laughs> I, don't know I mean, if he died in the 60s, that's like not really that long ago. Like people lived longer than that. Like, 47, yeah. bro? What is this? That's, it's just 1582? I mean, what can you expect when you're doing that many drugs and drinking that much? True, right? And having <laughs> bar fights when you're, like, an old man. Oh, wait, I guess he's not, he was never an old man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Picturing him. <laughs> 78. Like, 
Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I also want to just address a little bit. I think the legacy of Jack Kerouac. I obviously love Jack Kerouac. People can say what they want about him. I want to. I wonder what do you love about Jack Kerouac? I love the like rambly kind of style of the writing, mm-hmm. um, and that also his writing, just that like freedom of thought, really inspired a lot of the music that I like. I can't go one episode without talking about music, but <laughs> um, there was a lot of like music, Bob Dylan, the Beatles, Patti Smith. Eddie Vedder, The Doors, Weezer, Jawbreaker, like all of these bands I like love, all these artists I love have been inspired by Jack Kerouac. There's literally a Jawbreaker song where they like sample um, Jack Kerouac, like reading a poem or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Patti Smith was like really involved. She like knew Burroughs, they were kind of friends, but was really involved in that. Like she was really inspired by the beat movement. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's also just like he challenged a lot of like what was normal. Like I said, like on the road wasn't published till like six years after he wrote it. Yeah. Like he just really challenged like the norm and like traditional thoughts and like how what writing should be and what novels should be. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Yeah. And I like just experimentation. I just think the whole like grimy beat life, like I don't know, I was just like really drawn to it when I was younger and now I like I got really into it and it's just still interesting to me, just like a different lifestyle than I live and I think that's what reading yeah. books is about. So true. But also I think the downfall, there is a lot of misogyny within beat culture. It's yeah. very, I it's mean, for that male time, dominated. it's very male-dominated. You don't, I mean, Patti Smith is the closest I can think of of, like, kind of associated with the beat movement. Like, mm-hmm. that's the one woman that's not just, like, a wife or someone yeah. to fuck that's, like, <laughs> someone, yeah, to fuck. someone to fuck. Like, the women were mostly, like, looked at as just, like, mm-hmm. throwaway. Like, yeah. and that's what kind of Jack Kerouac did. Like, a lot fuck of his women. Wives. I just want to have sex with my bros. <laughs> I just want. I just want to write poetry and fuck my bros right now. <laughs> what are we saying? We're watching Kill Your Darlings. <laughs> my bros on the pros with my bros <laughs> while we row or some shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a scene in Kill Your Darlings where they're like reading poetry while they're rowing a boat because it's like you know the 40s. Yeah. And we were like pros with the bros while we row. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of misogyny. Of course, the Buddhism thing with like cultural appropriation, substance abuse obviously is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. But it also, I think the drugs, that, that's what's kind of interesting to me is that like really impacted their style. And it's really interesting to Very read about interesting. when it's like, that's what like reading is about. It's like experiencing something that you haven't experienced yourself. And I, mm-hmm. that's what I like about it. Yes. So, well, you've inspired me to read some wow. Jack Kerouac. Good. Have you ever read Kerouac? No. Oh, wow. Never. Wow. Been missing out. I know, it's good. Yeah. Not a lot of people like him, honestly. Like, there's a lot of people that don't like him, but... We will see. Say what you will about him. I love him. And, you lo- and, you think he, and he thinks hot. And he's hot. So. And he's kind of hot. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. He's a little hot, but uh, that's, that's not the point. That's not the point. No. Oh, I don't have a fuck, Mary kill. Okay, I will do a fuck, Mary kill. How about that? Well, it'll I be like, like all of ours. Yeah, the beat just kind of goes together, because I don't... We'll just do fuck, Mary kill each. with beat poets. Oh, uh, that's hard, though. Wait, we already know who I'm going to find. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, okay. The sources I used for my research was um, the Jack Kerouac Society website, which had a huge biography about Jack Kerouac. Um, biased or not? I don't know. Um, <laughs> the Medium article by Jennifer Berube. Um, the Daily Beat blog. I did use a bit of a San Francisco article by Sam Whitting. Um, and the biographics video on Jack Kerouac um, called Jack Kerouac on the Road. The beat author that I chose to do was Allen Ginsberg. Yeah. So Twas June 3rd, 1926, in Newark, New Jersey, when Allen Ginsberg came into this world. <laughs> um, so his parents were Louis and Naomi Ginsberg, who were Jewish members of the New York literary counterculture movement of the 1920s. So he already had this like strong influence of uh, being around counterculture, very literary people. In fact, his dad was an English teacher and a poet. So definitely like inspired his love of reading and writing. 
His mother was a Russian immigre, and she was a communist, and uh, she That's suffered from really interesting, right? Me. And not a good time to be a Russian <laughs> communist in the United States of America. I'll tell you that, but. Uh, she also right suffered there. from mental health problems. We think schizophrenia, from what I've seen. Um, so she was in a mental hospital like off and on for much of his youth, um, which really gave Alan a lot of like tolerance for people who suffer from mental health issues, which comes up a lot in his poetry. And she also inspired Kaddish, which is like one of his famous poems. It's a long poem that basically mourns his mother oh, that is after really she died. So Oh my god, yeah, you've read it. Yeah. Bruh, I want to read that that's one. Really good. That's probably his like second most famous one after Howl, I would think. Yeah, that's probably the one I read like after Howl. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he loved poetry growing up. Really loved Walt Whitman, Edgar Allan Poe. And he got into Columbia University, bro, where he became close friends with Jack Kerouac and uh, William uh, Burroughs, uh, William S. Burroughs, Lucien Carr. All these fellers. All these dudes. All these bros. That all these bro. bros. Like bros. <laughs> bros. Uh, and they're all super counterculture anarchists. They bonded over this thing called a new vision, which is adapted from Yeats' poem A Vision. Oh my god, no way. Yeah, it's a, that was Yeats and Yeats are on your side. You know? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> anyway. <Smith? laughs> oh my god. <gasps> yeah, Smith. Morrissey really liked Yeats. Yes. That Anyways. makes sense. Okay. So they created this like new vision, uh, which Ginsburg described in his journal as this. Since art is ultimately self-expressive, we conclude that the fullest art, the most individual, uninfluenced, unrepressed, uninhibited expression of art is true expression and the true art. What? <laughs> we believe that art expression, free expression, art is free, and art is the freest form of expression art. That's, that's basically it. That's basically it. I feel like that was like... What? Okay. <laughs> Basically, they're saying that uh, art is ultimately, like, it should not be repressed. Yeah. You should just say whatever the hell is on your mind. And in Why fact, can they just... <laughs> because they're fucking pretentious, and it's Columbia. True. So anyway, they also... Another iconic thing that Alan Ginsberg have said about his, like, writing process and, like, beat poetry is that it's first thought, best thought. So it's just like writing whatever the hell comes to your brain. You know I what I mean? I like that. And I'm it's unrepressed. Yeah, I like that, too. I'm use that in every essay now. Sorry, you give me a D? First thought? Best thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, Allen Ginsberg said. What's <laughs> Allen Ginsberg? <laughs> That's funny, actually. So you can see the beginnings of the B ideas brewing here, like themes of like freedom, openness, um, you know, freedom. And, and not openness. Openness. <laughs> not repressing anything, like, you know, just. Just being very open, uh, yeah. and they fucking lived by that. That's for sure. That was their motto. Um, so yes, as you mentioned a little bit, yeah, there was just some fruity vibes between all these dudes. Yeah. Um, I and mean, love it. Like go love off. Love it. Go off. They were just experimenting because yeah. it's also all about experimentation and exactly. just living. Uh, so they definitely like you know fruity vibes, and this is when Ginsburg I think started to realize his sexuality a little bit um, because he had <laughs> been. I think he had been with women mm. before. Um, but I think it was around college in that age where he was like, mm, I think I'm gay. He met Lucien Burr and he's like, mm, I think I'm gay. I think I'm gay, yeah. Um, Wait, that was the thing in Kill Your Darlings. We didn't even know if they ever had a romantic relationship, do we? Like, no, dudes, we don't know. No one really knows. But we do know that, like, I I'm pretty sure there was some things between, like, yeah, Neil Cassidy Yeah, for sure, Neil Cassidy. That's, like, approved, but they just, like, what? They just like totally played that up in the movie. Yeah, the movie is inaccurate, and, guys. Oh my god! And the the post credits when it's supposed to be or not like pre credits. Even the when it's like the, this is the true story part. They got it wrong. wrong. They basically fictionalized this whole relationship between Ginsburg and Carr, which and yeah, what? I don't think happened. I mean, what the hell do we know? Yeah, but what the hell? Maybe do they know? there's some fruity stuff, but yeah, what are they? Anyways, anyway, we got a bone to pick. We got a movie. bone to pick. I got a bone to pick. <laughs> That's our Kendrick Lamar song. Oh. Anyway, so then he graduated Columbia, and he was just bumming around NYC for a while. Uh, and then he moved to San Francisco in 1954. And this is, like, probably the, I would say this is, like, the hub of the beat movement, although it was in multiple cities. Yeah, this like was we said, like, place. L.A. a little bit, mm -hmm. um, New York City. New York City, New York but City. San Fran was San a, Fran's the place kind to of the be. hub. That's the place to be at this time. Because <laughs> this is also when he met another poet, Peter Orlovsky. Orlovsky? 
and they fell in love and they were like lifelong partners. Oh, wait, I read about that when I did my I did a project on Ginsburg in high school. Yeah, they were. This was like his Aww. his lifelong love. Um, yeah. So that's cute. And then he that's when he started to be a lot more open about his homosexuality, and it became a really big part of his writing and his image. Um, in Robert K. Martin's The Homosexual Tradition in American Poetry, he states that Ginsburg made his sexuality an integral part of his public image and poetry as part of his larger attempt to undermine American society and its pretensions to respectability. Which is like, go off. Yes. Like 1950s? Are you It's amazing. Serious? It's really amazing. And, and he was open about it and trying to uh, break down that stigma attached to homosexuality. So That's like one good thing I do think. Like even though like there's not much representation in terms of like people of color and like women in the B movement, it was like a lot for Definitely you know, for the gay queer men. Community. Yeah. yeah, for the queer community. So. Uh, so that's good. Then he started fucking reading his poetry out loud, was getting some good reception from mm. fellow poets. And his first public reading of Howell was in San Francisco, and everybody was like, shit, this guy's on to something. <laughs> this, guy. this guy's on to something. Snaps for that. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, then Howell and other poems came out, which is like considered like the creme de la creme of beat poetry. Mm. It's like probably one of the most significant products of beat poetry. So good. So good. Um, it's based on his experiences, life experiences, but it's also a history of the beat generation. It's a desperate plea for humanity because it draws attentions to like the intolerance and prejudices that were going on yeah. at the time. But it's also a dedication to his friend Carl Solomon, who was a friend that he had who suffered from mental issues, who he met in a waiting room at a psychiatric hospital where he was visiting his mother, oh Ginsburg. Um, so Carl Solomon was really sad. He went through lots of shock therapy because that's what they fucking thought was Fuck. gonna help them back then. Don't even get me started where this shit gets Yeah, it's crazy. He had, he was like suffering so badly from his like psychosis that he pleaded for a lobotomy, oh which is really sad. <laughs> um, so that's, the poem is dedicated to him oh and, it do, and it talks about him uh, that way. So, and that also goes into like one of the most iconic lines in the poem is, I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. Yes. That's also kind of about Kerouac and it's some about of the all other of them, ones, about yeah. all of them and Carl Solomon and it's like, Damn, bro. Shit is deep. Shit is dark yeah. and, and gritty, and that's the point. That's what I like about it. I like that, too. It's very realistic. It's, it's not like holding back anything. True, true. 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 Um, yeah. So then in the 60s and 70s, so we had huge success from Howell. Oh, yeah, I don't think I have this in here, but it was literally banned because yeah. of the mentions of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. and, and so they, like, overcame that. Like, it ended up uh, not being banned. But it was banned when it initially came out because people mm. could not handle that in the 50s. That's so crazy. Like, Kerouac, his took forever just to get printed. Mm -hmm. And Ginsburg, like, they flaunted fucking band-aid and people loved it. Right. Like, so crazy. I know. <sighs> they could not be stopped, though. They could not be stopped. Because, and then I'll tell you, in the 60s and 70s, they were like, okay, okay, we're understanding. We're catching on to this. And so he got very into drug use at this time. Apparently he wrote a number of books under the influence. Not surprised. I feel like all of them did that. Probably. Which like kind of makes it. Like I'm not, hey, I'm not pushing drugs here on the record. On the record. Off the record. I'm a pusher. <laughs> no. Like I'm not supporting it. Like, yeah. but it makes it interesting. It's very interesting to read about. And you know what? Like they saw it as a means to enlightenment. And Which is like it, such an interesting whether that's me. true or not, I love reading about that shit. Like it's people doing psychedelics and like oh, I just love they it. did a lot of psychedelics. I know, that's it's for just sure. so yeah. Whatever your take on it, it's just and you know like, what? That's just like part of the '60s and '70s too. Yeah, which kind of part of the counterculture movement. Okay, so then he also got him really into Hinduism. He started studying under various guru and Zen masters, and then got very very much his hippie era. He was in, he led like tons of protests against the Vietnam War. Mm. Spoke openly about free speech and homosexual rights. Was just traveling around, like, reading his poetry. He coined the phrase, flower power. No fucking way. Can you believe that? He coined that. Oh, my God. Hippie king. Hippie fucking king. Yeah. I feel like that's so interesting. I didn't even think about, like, the connection between bee culture and hippie culture. It was a precursor. There's I didn't, so much I didn't, I didn't connect even that think about either. that, like, duh. But. And, and Alan Ginsberg, I didn't even realize, but, you know, he played a big role in both. He was, like, kind of yeah. a hippie and was, like, kind of one of the big people that, you know, like, young people in the 60s and 70s, like, idolized him. 
and a cool guy. Yeah, he fucking coined the phrase flower power. Dude? Did yeah. It? Yes. So he was an icon. Um, <laughs> so, moral of the story is he was an icon. Yeah, youth culture, youth counterculture loved that shit. Oh, yeah, um, ate that shit up. They ate that shit up. He, he went on to publish numerous other collections of poetry, too. So, And then he started winning a bunch of awards. I'm not going to label off all of them, but... Think about how, with his success, like, think about... I mean, I don't think Kerouac would even have made it to that amount of success as Ginsburg because his personality, I think, was different. I don't think he was, like, meant for fame, how Ginsburg is very, like... Ginsburg like resonated with people more. He's very stoic and like he's a leader type. Kerouac's not. Yeah. But like it's just interesting thing. Like if he didn't drink himself to death when he was forty-seven, like what they could have Probably. done together. I right. And I'll tell you something that Allen Ginsberg did in memory, in memoriam. Oh my god, I'm ready. I'm of excited. Jack Kerouac, yes. you're gonna love this. So he co-founded and directed the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poets at the Naropa Institute in Colorado. When I told this, I was like, what the fuck? Can we, like, visit there? Can I take a class there? It's, like, a really small private school. Like, very, very small. What? And But it does, like, center around. It has, like, incredible literature and poetry programs. What are we doing here? I was like, I wish I had known that before I fucking went to DU. The fuck? Like, we would go to the King Jack here. Actually, I would. I, I would think it's to hard to get into. Probably. It's really small. And, yeah, but it very was also... Elitist. Yeah, and it's also like it's a it has a lot of like Buddhist influences. It's also just very beat because it's dedicated to Jack Kerouac and was literally co-founded by Allen Ginsberg. So they were, you know, it was important for them to have like a good literature and poetry homies. program. Homies, wow. Like what? That's true homies, right there. True homies. True homies. What year did that open? Do you know? I don't know. Oh wait. Interesting. I don't know. I think it was in the eighties uh, or nineties. Wow. Around that time. Anyway, wicked. So he continued writing and re- writing and reciting his poetry into old age, and he started collaborating with bands like Sonic Youth. Oh my! I listened to that. I was like, mm-hmm. it's very long. It's very long. Well, there's a lot of Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth songs are like ten minutes long. Yeah, it's so so good. good. And you too, which I didn't know. Wait, what? Yeah, I guess there's a and the Clash. And the Clash. The last episode. If you've been keeping up with the podcast, with the two episodes we have now. <laughs> You would know. Uh, yep. <laughs> Shit. I love that. Only I love when fans. the writers are like. Yes. Yeah, so cool. <gasps> and this like, guy into the music. Are what? you fucking serious? Jawbreaker. Fucking talking right? about Kerouac. Yes. Yeah, Don't even get me started. I love when they. Yeah. They. they it. So it shows how your influences go beyond different. You know. Interests. Yeah. And yeah. Create this beautiful thing. This beautiful harmony. Yeah, it did. Um, so sadly, at the age of seventy. Um, Ginsburg was suffering from various ailments and having all these complications, but Wait, it was, he, he was 70. 70. Yeah, it was. Man, that's a, that's a ripe age. That's it's a ripe age. You know, he lived until 1997, longer than good, Kerouac. Yeah, Kerouac is 57. It's okay. Which is crazy. Yeah, but, um, he had good long life, um, but he eventually died from liver cancer. Dun, dun, the liver strikes again. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's why Kerouac died too, it's because his oh, liver. Oh, yeah. you're right. The liver strikes it. <laughs> yeah. We have like weird liver <laughs> book title. Basically, the, con- the in conclusion, guys, take care of your liver. Yeah, don't drink too much. Don't drink too much. Make sure you're eating right because it, that just like, doesn't it like process everything in your body, like flushes your system pretty much? I think so. All the toxins go through the liver. So make sure you're treating your yeah, body guys, right. Yeah, guys, treat your liver right. I mean, not, right. not blaming... I'm going to start a campaign. <laughs> I'm not trying to blame Ginsburg for getting liver cancer. <laughs> oh, fuck. But, like, just, you know, yeah. careful with your liver, I guess. You know, you can never be too careful with your liver. Exactly. I have a great way to sum up his legacy, thanks to PBS. Oh, My favorite. Love PBS. Fucking love PBS NPR. King. Slaps. Love them. No, so good. so good. They know what the hell they're doing. They do. Okay, so PBS summed up his legacy in this quote, which I think is rather apt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, among the avant-garde, he was considered a spiritual and sexually liberated ambassador for tolerance and enlightenment. With an energetic and loving personality, Ginsburg used poetry for both personal expression and his fight for a more interesting and open society. Damn. I was like, oh, shucks. Oh, shit. That's so, so good. Beautiful. Wow, I loved it. You want to say your sources? Oh, yes. Okay, so guys, here's the sources I used. Um, 
they are just links. I'm just not, I'm not even gonna name the writers. Sorry, but they're links. Okay, poetryfoundation.org, poets.org, Britannica. Britannica. Britannica is so good. <laughs> Britannica Why? is like such a good alternative to Wikipedia. Because I'm is. like, okay, I can't be using that shit. This is professional. It, we're, we're grown up. We gotta now. go to Britannica. We gotta go to Britannica. <laughs> I'm always like, I look up Alan Ginsberg and I'm like, no. The format of <laughs> no Wikipedia. I, I can't do Wikipedia. No, but the format of it is so much nicer to look at. They got a little picture. It's, yes. It's organized. They have bold. It's not stuff. like overbearing. Like Wikipedia, no. they're just throwing all these words at you like, at when once. When was the last time that was updated? The, the it looks like it was is so small. 2004 or some shit. The last time that was updated. No, Britannica. Disgusting. That's what's up. Britannica. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um. <laughs> literally, the next one is Wikipedia. <laughs> Um, so maybe I did look at Wikipedia, but that was not my main source. A glance. It was just a little peeky peek, okay? Um, <laughs> Litkicks.com gave me all the information about Carl Solomon. Uh, um, yeah. PPS, obviously. Oh, fucking there you go. Yes. That's pretty much it. And also Delicious. that book I mentioned. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wait. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh, my God, yes. Hmm, okay. Fuck, Mary kill. So, wait, we're just doing beat authors. So, yes. Kerouac, Ginsburg, Ginsburg. Burroughs. Burroughs, yes. Burroughs is such a dad, and I like want. Okay, I know that sounds weird. I want to marry him, but like it's like a, it's like a nice. That you is know? weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I think of like marry, okay, it's more like, it's more like who you'd be like buddies with, or like a yeah. good person to rely on. Right, they're reliable. Cause you're already fucking someone, so it, like there's a difference. There's a difference, you know. Definitely. Burroughs, I see, is like, wow, he's like a cool dude, and I'd like want to hang out with him. But I can't kill Ginsburg, cause sorry, yeah. We know who I'm fucking. We know who you're fucking. We've already discussed this. Not gonna lie, guys. But yeah, we're gonna fuck. We're gonna fuck Kerouac. We're both gonna fuck Kerouac. Or do you think the same thing? Fuck Kerouac, Mary Ginsburg. Kill Burroughs. Kill Burroughs. Sorry, Burroughs. I love him. He also is just like not the focus of this podcast. Like if we gave him more attention. Oh my god, the whole theme of this podcast is we would fuck Jack Kerouac and we'd marry Alan Ginsburg. True. Summed up. So this was, yeah. So that's all you need to listen to. That's all you need to. Um, Yeah. We're gonna put a a preface to this. If you really want (laughs) the best part of the podcast, go to last 10 seconds. Yes. (laughs) That's all you need to know. All right, sweet. So we hope you learned something. Yeah, we hope you learned a little something. We hope that you guys go and read a little bit. Go read some beat poetry. Tell us what you think, you know. Yeah. Maybe it's not for everyone, but. Maybe not. But open your mind. Open your mind. That's what this podcast is all about. Open your heart. Open open your mind. Open Open your your heart. heart. And we live by that. And we live by that. And I have always said that. Thanks for listening in, um, and we'll see you next time for Pop Culture Vultures. Yes. This podcast was written and produced by Tony Elton and Julia Murtis, edited by Tony Elton, music by Sam Shapiro, and a special thanks to Carlos Jimenez and Lucy Richardson.